Welcome to the Hanging Banners Podcast with your host, Tyler Witt. Jack Coachman. And here he is, having the time of his life. And Ryan Sartori. Maybe short, but he's thick. <laughs> that's, that's thick with two C's. We're back. Episode nine of Hanging Banners is here. And if you can't tell, I'm in a new locale. Those watching will know that I'm in a new locale. No bed in the background anymore. No dresser. You can't see my gaming setup anymore. It is purely a professional background that I've, uh, you know, decorated a bit. I actually did this uh, last night. So, you know, procrastinating at its finest. But gentlemen, I'm, I'm glad to have you back. This is episode nine. Like I said, I'm Ryan Sartori. Jack Coachman is here. Tyler Wood is here. And we're ready to roll. I think so. I I feel like it. Fortunately, there's not really a way for it to come up because you always intro the show. I'm pretty sure for the last four episodes, when I do my little notes for myself, I have the wrong episode number. I don't think I've been right since like episode two. So <laughs> I'm glad when you say what it is at the beginning, I'm like, okay, changing the notes here. No. And as I say that, I look at the agenda and it's actually episode eight. So we're firing on all cylinders right now. It is episode oh, eight. Changing it's not it again. Nine. Okay. Well, I had seven, so that was also you, wrong. You were wrong twice. So <laughs> we'll get there though. That's why, that's why when you go to the podcast on Apple or Spotify or whatever, you see the list, you could just count. That's what I need to start doing for now. One, two, three, four. Okay. That's where we are. That's what I need to start doing too, apparently, uh, because that was uh, an embarrassing start to the show. But we're we're up, we're running, we're back, we're breaking whatever little bit of rust that we have off, and it's good to see the boys again. Uh, catch me up. What's going on in your guys' lives? What did I miss? It's been two weeks. Feel free, Jack. Oh, feel free <laughs> for me. Uh, I'm trying to think. I, I'm honestly so jumbled about the timeline of events now. I, I think we had spoken since I had gone to Texas, but then after I went to Texas, I went to Florida. So I've been jet setting around the southern half of the country, visited family. So that was nice. Uh, thought I was going to go there and escape the Midwest cold fall transition to winter. But it was actually like 70 degrees the weekend that I left. So uh, didn't miss anything too bad here. But that was no, it's, it's nice to see family and stuff, especially out of state family as you approach the holidays and things. And it's tougher to see people. So that was uh, a good refresher. But otherwise, chilling. It's a good time of year for sports. I'll tell you that. Certainly is. Uh, oh, Jack, yeah. You're pumped up. College basketball started yesterday. Oh, man. I, I never really pay attention to when it starts because I'm so into NFL. NBA's getting rolling that when I saw on Friday, I'm like, oh, wait, opening days on Monday for college basketball. Then when it hit, I'm like, oh, we're so back. But before that, I honestly like didn't even remember that it was coming. So I'm starting got- to see a pattern. Yeah, I got to work uh, opening day for NIU men's and women's basketball. We'll talk about that in a second after I hear what's going on with Tyler Witt. What's up with the Blue Bombers? How's Canada? You still got the dog? No, uh, our foster dog went home. <laughs> Who did that dog? <laughs> well, it was returned. To the moon! <laughs> it was returned to its original foster, which we were just watching him for a week. Um, but he he went out with a blaze of glory. Just pissing everywhere. So, um, <laughs> so maybe not a blaze, but like a sizzle. If he was already hot, yeah, pissed, maybe a sizzle of glory. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're very leery on the fostering right now as we wrap up our stay in Winnipeg, but that is where we are at. It is playoffs in the CFL. We just had the semifinal round 
Well, the boys got together and we watched the, both semifinal games in preparation for the West final game. That is this Sunday. Um, and along with that, I have to wrap up my stay in Canada. So I have to, you know, start the process of, okay, well, I have to end my lease. I have to return my furniture and I have to figure out how I'm getting all my stuff home. Return your furniture? Yes, there's actually a very convenient company here that lets you rent furniture. Yeah, but like like couches and stuff, beds. Oh, yeah. Fill yeah. me in on this. So they bring it in, they assemble it in your apartment or house, and then they come back and they disassemble it and they take it away for you. Well, that's actually awesome. Yeah, it's it, it super is. convenient. But I, so in my life, I've been told I'm bougie. Um, and renting furniture that others have used is something that to me seems a bit dirty. See, I can't tell you if it has been used or has not been used, but it okay. just says that it is assembled in a store in Canada. I'm sure it's taken away and then the upholstery is cleaned. But for the most part, oh. it's just you would hope. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, think about like, have you ever slept I, on a friend's couch or something? Like your friend's sleeping on a friend's couch. You sleep on their couch enough times. It's your couch. Yeah. But I know, I know my friends. I've certainly I slept on people's couches who I don't know as well. That's right. I, I suppose not entirely wrong. I, su I in my head, the thing that I, I just, I just think that there's so many bodily fluids in couches and, stuff like that that i just wouldn't want to lay on them but I'm tyler on i'm not knocking it no, no i think it's sick i think that's awesome the two, the, the but i'm not trying that, it either so <laughs> the, the two things with upholstery that we have are we have a couch and we have a small chair um the rest of it's typically like just wood um i have like these this chair that i'm sitting in right now we have another one in the living room um so it's been it's been a good experience with this but it's I, feel I think bad. it's more beneficial than trying to buy all the furniture, move it into yourself. It's just more of a convenience thing. But as I was saying, uh, just wrapping up here in Canada, um, hoping to be back by Thanksgiving. So I am looking forward to that. Most definitely. And I'll have to take the uh, quick trip south to go get some uh, cheese fries or something now. So once you're back in in the States, I'll catch everybody up briefly. I don't want to uh, drone on any longer. I'd love to get on with the episode, but uh, new background. You can obviously tell things have changed. I've moved. Uh, I'm now a resident of Rockford, Illinois, where I've started a new job as an on-air producer at a country station up here. Uh, I'm wearing many, many hats right now. As I noted, I also am uh, working NIU games for men's and women's basketball and football, and uh, I do some board op stuff for that. So there, there's there's a lot of stuff going on right now, which is why we missed an episode of the podcast, but we're back. That's what matters, and uh, that's what's going on. All right, so I have to say it because while you were talking, I had a thought in my head of a funny thing to say, and it made me laugh, and that's not a great thing always. But when you said you wear many hats and you work at a country station, I'm picturing that that's the origin of the 10-gallon hat, right? It's like that's why they made such a big hat so people wouldn't have to wear so many. I I'm so ready to like, oh, it's radio, so nobody knows what you look like, but no, you've got the boots, you're wearing all leather. <laughs> like, please tell uh, me you're just like full country now. 
Oh, I am Doug Dimodome, owner of the Yeah, yeah, yeah like that I'm, huge chat that goes on the walking, screen. I'm walking through the door like this just to get it, just to get in every morning. Some like um, empty pistol holders on the side, get like the Yosemite Sam stash. I've got spurs for some reason. <laughs> exactly. Everybody knows who's coming down the hall because I just... <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no that's awesome though that uh that's uh, very exciting news yeah sure. yeah and it's been a it's been a fun start i just got home a little bit ago from day two of the job and they already got me hard at work and i couldn't be happier about it because i'm coming from a place where i was gainfully unemployed and i'm happy to have a a purpose a reason to wake up in the morning now so uh with that Let's jump into the show, the full rundown, what we got going on today. We will start, as always, with Count Your Wins. And uh, for those who maybe are just joining us for the first time, this is a segment where we go over something good that either happened to us or something good from sports, maybe even from pop culture. We throw that in. We call it Count Your Wins. And Tyler, what you're starting? Well... So this is more of a personal count your win. Um, okay. So every year, uh, well, let me pre- uh, preface this. Uh, my biggest fear in my entire life, my phobia is gremlins from the movie gremlins. Yes. I am horrified <laughs> of the green gremlins, the music, uh, everything about it. I have a, very big phobia of them. I don't like them. The music makes my skin crawl. I, it makes my heart start to palpitate, but I got into this tradition when I was in college with my roommate, Seth, and he would make me watch it every year. And he would say, you have to face your fears at least once a year. So to keep up with tradition, um, me and Nicole actually sat down and watched it. And this year was the first year that I like made it through the whole movie and was like, pretty okay after so i i was very proud of myself that is that is big to conquer the fear but also i'm like as a man of many phobias i was when you're like my absolute biggest fear and then you said gremlins like i'm sure it's like torturous for you and terrifying but i'm like that's a pretty peaceful life that i feel like there are a lot of much more common (laughs) fears i was like there are some fears that people encounter on the daily and it's like not to minimize your fear again i'm not trying to diminish it but i'm like you know, I was so ready for like some something that would be like, oh, I'm afraid of heights. And like I went skydiving and I'm like, oh, dude, that would just mess me up. But now gremlins like I'm with you, dude. They're creepy, man. Yeah, I, I watched it at a young age. My mom, <laughs> this is this is d- going to date me. We went to Blockbuster. No, and- we were all around for Blockbuster. Yeah. Don't act, don't act. This is going to date me. You're in your young 20s. <laughs> yeah, we're our younger audience. Okay? Blockbuster was around for the majority of the population's youth. <laughs> Anyway, (laughs) little young me running around Blockbuster with my mom and she's like, oh, Tyler, you would like this movie. It's it's really funny. So me being the whimsical child that I am, I sit down and watch it and I didn't sleep for the next three days because I was so terrified. I'm just picturing this kid just like sapped of all their youthful energy. Like, I'm so excited for this movie. My mom said I'm going to love it. And then just like their entire life changed villain origin story like this is <laughs> tyler's the reason that there are no more blockbusters he started a campaign then and there yeah so oh, good stuff so okay what is your what is your irrational fear jack which one 
<laughs> if you had to put one at the top of the list, what would be your you know, irrational The one that's fear? most glaring. I don't know that it's the thing I'm most afraid of, but the thing that comes up most in my life is I'm terrified of dogs. And that really? comes up all the time. Well, obviously it comes up all the time because everybody on the planet has to have a dog. Otherwise their life is unfulfilled. <laughs> so no, I, yeah, dogs. Uh, uh-uh. nope. Like we had a cousin came over to the house over the weekend and him and his girlfriend were like, Oh, we're going to adopt this dog in the area. Can we bring it back? And I'm like, they were just going to be in the garage. And even with that in mind, I'm like, I'm just going to be in my room and like probably lock the door or something. Like I was in Florida. My sister brought her dog over to my parents' house. Like, yeah, everybody meet it. And I'm like, all right, I'll catch you guys later. Like, no, no, I can't do dogs. I, I both am mildly allergic, scared of them, and generally have a sense of disdain towards them. I don't like them either. What about bunnies? Do you like bunnies? I don't have an issue with bunnies. Okay, because we've never mentioned on this podcast, the big bad Tyler Witt has a therapy animal, and it is a rabbit. He used to have two. Rest in peace, Oreo. But no, uh, Leroy. Oh, Leroy. Leroy. Eeyore. Rest in peace, Leroy, and may I knock Eeyore. on wood for Oreo? Eeyore. No, who's Leroy? There's a Leroy. Now I have to get into his whole backstory. Backstory? My rabbit's, <laughs> my, my rabbit's name is Oreo, but he has an alter ego. His name is Leroy Jones, and he's an attorney. Uh-huh. You, might have, you might know from his work uh, on the OJ case. Oh. He's part of the dream team, yeah. So Eeyore just was the one that bust into the room and yell, Leroy Jones. <laughs> yeah, so similar. No, I'm on, I'm on board with rabbits. My, my sister was thinking about fostering a rabbit when we were living together at our childhood home. And uh, I told her I was fine with that. My, my rule on if we're getting an animal is I just didn't want it to be like a 100% free roaming animal. Something that you has to, any you closure. You want it to in a cage, essentially? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fair. Well, like, uh, I love going to the zoo. And I, there are a lot of animals that I'm fine with. The birds I like, uh, bugs I don't mind too much. Dogs are uh, no, no, they could go. I would be fine you, if they were a all this calm. Person, Jack Coachman, and I love Catacombia. it. Um, <laughs> my my irrational fear is nursing homes. Oh, really? Yeah, I can't like, stand going into nursing homes. Hmm. That's I not crazy. I think it's something to do with the fact that like death ultimately scares the hell out of me. But also as a kid, my dad's grandmother, my great grandmother was 95 and lived in a nursing home in rural Illinois. And every time you would go in there, you would just hear like just painful moans coming from down the hallways. And I was just like, where, what place is this? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, so nursing homes have always been a no-go for me. They're like, oh, yeah, we're going to go visit Graham Graham. We want to go. And it was just like hanging on to the, the ledges of the doors <laughs> like a CrossFit athlete or something. I don't know. Um, Jack, what's your what's your win of the week? My win was already alluded to, and it was opening day, the one true opening day in the world of sports. NBA, oh, MLB, NFL, everyone take a seat. You don't even have it painted on the court. At least College baseball has it painted on the field. Opening day is a big thing because that's uh, that might be the most – well, yeah, I think that would have to be the sport with the most games going on for opening day anywhere in the world, which obviously is a little bit loaded because there's like 300 teams. But <laughs> – Oh, dude, I just I'm so pumped. I love watching anything that I can get like streaming any of the like mid-major matchups early in the season that are good because a lot of the like 20 point favorites, 18 point favorites. What am I going to watch? Uh, I made a lot of stupid bets, all of which lost. They were all super long shots. It put like 10 cents here, 10 cents here just to get in the spirit. Uh, there were some really cool almost upsets. 
Uh, Loyola Chicago almost got upset by Fairly Dickinson. They had a buzzer beater to send it to Ooh. overtime. Yeah, what? Uh, That's got to be on the bingo card of of bas- <laughs> college basketball opening day. Oh, dude. Is when you see the upset and you see who it was going, huh? No, no, no. Fairly Dickinson's D1. They, they've made the tournament a few times as a play in 16 in the last few years. Yeah, don't disrespect that. Come on. I'm not uh, trying to. TCU almost got upset. They're number 14 in the country. 35-point favorites against uh, University of Arkansas Pine Bluff. Zippity zippity uh, zoo zoo. So, so yeah, that <laughs> tough start for the frogs. They did survive it though. Uh, and then there were a couple actual upsets too. Florida Gulf Coast. Maybe you guys remember uh, Dunk City from way back in the day. They of course. Uh, oh oh yeah, the horn frog thing. They beat USC uh, at USC. That would be the California USC. And uh, Cal lost to UC Davis. So I'm like, all right, college basketball. People think madness only happens in March, but it's November and it's already mad. So that's my win. College hoops is back. Love it. Yeah. And like I said, I I got to sit in for NIU men's and women's last night. NIU women's got blown out by number nine, Notre Dame in South Bend. And then the men played University of Illinois at Springfield and got beat by like 12. Wait, NIU men lost? Yeah. To, oh, uh, I didn't even see that. To UIS? To the Prairie Stars or something like that. I think that's They're what not UIS even, They are D2, I'm pretty sure, right? I think that's probably right. Probably I think they they, pro- they they must play with like uh, University of Indianapolis. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm oh, sure yeah. That like Ferris State, some of the other things there. Yep. Yeah. Ferris oh, State sounds like. No. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, like I said, craziness. I, I can't even imagine. Did, I don't think there was a line on that because it was probably so unlikely that there was even any uh, loss. But it so, happened. My producer brain is working right now, and I, I, I'm going to ask you real quick before I move on to my win. Do you have a, a lock for who might be the eventual champion this year so that I can I can mark this and, and use it in March? I, I forgot if I already picked someone to win. The team that jumps to my mind is Gonzaga, which is such a like that's a sinking ship to get on every year. You're just you, you don't feel like they're ever actually going to get it done. But the team is so good. Drew Timmy has been running college basketball for years. Oh, yeah. uh, Julian Strother still on the team. He was starting to rise up towards the end of last year. And obviously they have a weak schedule. They walk into a high seed every year anyways. Um, and then Kentucky, depending on uh, if we get like the monster season that people are hoping for out of Oscar Shibway, that's another school I'm watching. But K- Gonzaga would be my pick right now. Wow. Even with uh, Chet Holmgren went to Gonzaga too, right? Chet Holmgren wasn't even always the, I mean, he was definitely the most talented player on Gonzaga, but like the way that they used Timmy on offense, Holmgren wasn't even always the most impactful player on the floor. I'm surprised to hear Timmy's even still at Gonzaga. I feel like I've heard that name for years. Dude, the COVID years, there are some people playing and they're like, I'm looking at guys rosters. Like who I was just looking at somebody on Pine Bluff that like, uh, this is their sixth season and their fourth school. And, they're still a junior or something like and the, the eligibility rules got weird with COVID stuff and red shirting. So you might see some 25 year olds running around think, with like teenagers. The, the quarterback at uh, one of the Texas schools is like 29 and has three kids or something like that. Do you remember Brandon Weed? North, North Texas, North Texas. Oh, North that's Texas. right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mean University of North Texas. yeah. Brandon Weed was an old guy. He got drafted uh, at mm-hmm. the age of like 27, 28 or something. I think and he yeah, played for the White Sox, didn't he? Or he was in the farm system for the Sox, I think. I don't know Weedon? that he ever played. I think he was. I believe he was. It's entirely possible. So many of those um, guys get drafted too. Yeah, and then and then they never go. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up. Count your wins. 
with one that I think uh, is probably annoying to a lot of people. Uh, and I'm happy that it's over, which is why it's my, my win of the week. Today's election day in Illinois, and I'm elated for this day to come and go. And we don't have to worry about it for a little bit of time because this is without a doubt been the most intrusive election cycle ever. Um, you know, you've had your YouTube ads, you've got your signs on the road and your commercials and, and things like that. And like, you know, they get annoying enough as it is this year, they changed the game this year. They started sending texts and it's that noise that sound effect from tyler <laughs> yes <laughs> it's 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 intrusive it's the only word that i can think of and it's nonsensical it's just i can't believe that we've gotten to this point where it's like you're getting random videos about some judge who's going to crack down on abortion or not crack down on abortion or this person's dangerous or that person's not i just Stop, 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 stop. All of them. You just in caps. So I, I think you, you, some of them you can say like, oh, you take us off your mailing list. Text stop to this number. And all of them in capital letters and with multiple exclamation points. Stop. That's too far to me. I, the one that I dislike the most, I, I don't really mind. You know, you get junk texts from other things anyways. And sometimes they're not junk. Maybe it's like, oh, my dentist texted me. I have an appointment. Like, oh, good. I would have totally forgotten otherwise. But I got some texts about like, make sure you go vote. Like in these last couple of days, I've gotten a few more, but I voted like a week ago. So <laughs> that, I'm like, if you have access to all of my information, like if you know, I'm already a registered voter and you have my phone number, like, can't you look and see that I already voted? Like that should get me off the list. I've done what you want me to do. <laughs> There's nothing more I can offer. If I vote again, I'm going to cause problems. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Right. Um, now, and, you know, just on top of that, I think there was a lot of organizations pushing to like, hey, go vote. Uh, I don't think that those organizations actually care. It's just like a nice thing to do from a PR standpoint, like the NFL and their push this year to be like, hey, go vote. And, you know, NFL stadiums are going to be polling places this year. Like, I, I don't think the NFL genuinely cares. It's just like a thing to, uh, uh, I guess, quell some of the. Some of the people out there. Well, actually, now that we've brought it to sports, I think that the NFL as a league maybe doesn't care a ton, but I do think that teams care. And so I think that is a big thing. Like when they turn stadiums into polling places, like a lot of that happens in more urban areas where access may be limited for either like transportation and working hour reasons or gerrymandering and things like that, where it's too confusing and hard for people to vote. So I do think I appreciate that sports teams have put a more concerted effort in like pushing voting eligibility and voter registration and stuff. But you're probably right. Like from the very high up top down, it doesn't really change much for the NFL. Um, I'm trying to remember who was it that who did it a couple years ago that it was a big thing. Was it Atlanta or, because Georgia's had some tight races? I don't remember, but like that, that's a very big thing because they can accommodate so many more people than like your local elementary school or like or I go to the civic center. Or, yeah. yeah. Like, so yeah. no, I, I definitely am on board with sports starting to push it more, but, I don't know that Goodell is like actually, you know, trying to trumpet that he's some great patriot and he <laughs> feels like this was the vision of the founding fathers. Like, nah, he probably is just putting a stamp of approval on things. 
Sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was going to say too, the NFL trade deadline was awesome. We don't have to go too in depth in that. We got NFL talk coming up later, but uh, the NFL trade deadline, I think 20 players were traded at or near the trade deadline this year, which is undoubtedly the most active we've seen this league in a trade deadline scenario, a league that I think eight years ago, you didn't even hear of in season trades or trades really at all. You just kind of had to wait for a guy to become a free agent. Teams didn't, uh, really entertain trade ideas. So I think that it was a lot of fun this year to have players moving around and then seeing them almost immediately be on their new teams when it can be very difficult to install a, a significant player to your team midseason. So with that, let's jump forward to intercepted at the goal line. I, I've got I've to admit, I had a really hard time filling this out with something that I think the listeners would be interested in hearing. Uh, I've, I really have had a, a, a pretty all right go at life recently because, you know, things I, I think things are just uh, trending in the right direction. I will say moving into this new place that I'm in has been slightly a disaster. Uh, again, why we missed an episode. It's been slightly a disaster, though things are starting to turn around and look up a little bit. I won't bore everybody with the details of it, but essentially this place that we're living in now was not outfitted with proper electricity and so for the first four days we were here we did not have uh, uh working lights we were essentially in in a brownout situation the furnace didn't work we couldn't use our microwave or our uh, uh our, our our toaster like just simple appliances would not work and so that's probably the worst thing that happened to me uh, this this past week, but that is now starting to figure itself out, or has figured itself out, and and we're we're good. So I'll let you guys take this over. Uh, I let Tyler lead on the last one. Jack, you lead on this one. Okay. Well, uh, there's a easy, clever tie-in that your issues were related to power, and my intercepted at the goal line is the power ball. I can't believe after however many years that they've been running the lottery that uh, last night the Powerball wasn't able to be drawn on time due to technical difficulties. They did the drawing this morning. It, I think it's up to, was it over a billion dollars? Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I think it was a one point something billion dollars. Uh, and somebody did win today. I think the winner was somewhere in California. So LA County. Yeah, it wasn't me. Uh, I'm in Illinois, but I did have tickets. Um, but I just, to me, that was it's so shocking that it, we've turned things into such like, efficiency angles and like digitizing and mechanizing everything that if something goes wrong like okay let's push it back so we can do it right i'm like hold on i feel like i remember as a kid watching on tv when they do the lottery it's just this little like gumball machine of balls it shoots one out you pick it up i'm like what was the malfunction what could have gone wrong with that it's just you pick a ball and it has a number there's a number pick a ball has number there's number two so i didn't read too much about like what actually went wrong I don't know. I saw different messages about was it hacked or was it just a failure of some sort of digital thing? And whatever it was, it's over now. Um, And I I actually am more excited, I think, when anybody wins the Powerball, because I don't really love hearing about it. It's not my favorite means of gambling. I'm like, all right, like, great. Somebody won. Now we're going to wait for it to climb up to 100 something million or 500 million again. And then we'll talk about it. Hopefully next time they don't uh, pull late. What's the lump sum on one point whatever billion dollars? Do you think it is it north of six hundred million? Yeah, right. Uh, Jack's it, doing math. I'll fill in the void with 
uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, move to Tyler. I'll get an answer for this. No, I think I, I just wanted to comment. I think that if it malfunctioned, they should have brought out like this old rustic hand crank <laughs> lotto machine. Like you see it like bingo night. Just Hell yeah. Put on a, <laughs> show must go on. Um, but to continue with the interceptor at the goal line and to relate to Ryan's, I have a heating issue in my apartment, which is pretty devastating being, being in Canada with snow on the ground. It is not the best. Um, so there's this very convenient switch in my bedroom and it has a summer setting and a winter setting. So when it started getting colder, I flipped it to the winter setting and it turns on the baseboard heaters and all throughout my apartment. Well, at least we thought the baseboard heaters do not work in my living room. So where I typically spend most of my time in my, when I'm, you know, like home, uh, it's, it's freezing cold and Nicole is freezing cold and we have all have sweatshirts and hoodies on and blankets on and it's miserable, but all the bedrooms are toasty warm. So we have come to the conclusion that we now have to flip it to the summer setting during the day so that we can somewhat heat our living room while all the other rooms get cold and then at night flip it to winter and allow them to heat up. So very elaborate heating process. for <laughs> my apartment. Yeah. <laughs> for no reason. Did you try switching it to Wumbo? <laughs> you know, I Wumbo, you Wumbo. <laughs> she, we Wumbo. It's the study of Wombology, SpongeBob. Jack, do we have an official number? Yeah, I saw one report that said it would be uh, 929 million. God. So that because I think this one got up to 1.9 billion. So I, I think it's like just under a half, which when you think about like, oh, I don't know. Obviously, I think the lump sum is a fine way to go about it. Like just get the money and then you can do with it what you can still invest it in things and stuff. But when you think about like, oh, I won $2 billion and then you're like leaving a billion dollars on the table, like. Oh, that's kind of crazy to think about, too. That's definitely the gotcha scheme in it. But no, congratulations to the person in California who I'm hoping has remained anonymous, unless California lottery laws state otherwise. Some some laws you have to report who right. you are. But well, there's uh, a Nick Cannon movie about that. But I, I digress. <laughs> I think it's a Nick Cannon movie. Um, OK, we're going to get to NFL week nine in just a minute. But first, I want to put to, to bed my favorite season. Jack's just started. Mine just ended. The World Series came to a conclusion on this past Saturday. The Houston Astros hoisted the commissioner's trophy. That hunk of metal that mattered so little in 2017 now means to world the world to them in 2020. Uh, the Houston Astros dominated the Phillies. And I think the Phillies probably came back to earth a little bit. They were hitting and hitting and hitting. And then in the World Series, they set a World Series record for strikeouts in in the World Series. <clears throat> but uh, Jeremy Pena is here and he's a star. He is the only player ever to obtain a gold glove at shortstop, a league championship series MVP and a World Series MVP. He's the only player to ever do that. Not in a single season, in a career. He's the only player to ever do that. I think that that's pretty cool. Also, in his first playoff run ever, bats 345, 
with an OPS of over a thousand, 20 hits, nine of them for extra bases, and in the World Series alone, added a 16.5% chance for the Astros to win the World Series. That is a significant number in terms of win percentage added, especially championship win percentage added. What a season. And now we are on the doorstep of a winter that could see some gigantic numbers thrown at baseball players. We could see Shohei Otani traded, though apparently it's come out that he might not go anywhere. But Aaron Judge is, is bound to make over $300 million. Trey Turner is bound to make over $300 million. Carlos Correa could sign a long-term deal that could get him a number that big. We are going to see a lot of movement and have a lot of fun. This is, I think, the single best free agency period in all of sports, just with all the different signings and, and how significant even small moves can be for championship teams. So with that, good night, baseball. We will see you in February for spring training. Uh, for now, we leave it to the NFL. Yeah. Hey, you know what, though? Baseball, strong momentum, right? Because like you said, big free agency upcoming, excellent playoffs, super compelling World Series, big trade deadline this last uh, season. So all of a sudden, baseball is they're, they're on the rise, right? They're, they're, they're working their way back up into higher public favor. But I mean, if you're a baseball fan, I, I don't think you could complain too much about the direction that baseball is going, especially looking back at, at where it's come from over the last decade or so. Uh, over the last calendar year right this time last year most big time baseball fans were worried if we were even going to play baseball in the year 2022 of our lord and and they did and it was one of the best seasons i've seen in a bit right i am i am largely moved by the fact and uh excited by the fact that this year we saw the emergence of some stars who are 22 23 years old like some certified stars already when you look at um uh rodriguez in seattle when you look at jeremy pena who had an under the radar year but still was amazing michael harris in atlanta uh -huh. i'm going to forget guys adley rutschman i think that bobby witt jr had a great year in kansas city he's only going to get better i, I i'm going to miss names here but there are so many young guys that emerged this year that we've heard about for years in the, in the minor leagues that are here now, and they're about to take over baseball. There's a lot of changing of the guard coming. You see Pujols leave Cabrera's on his heels. Verlander might soon leave Kershaw. There's a changing of the guard coming. And I think MLB is working on pivoting towards being a more uh, front facing public facing company where they want everybody to be a part of it. And I'm excited to see where the future is, but we wait for another season until 2023. You know that I'll be talking about some big free agent signings and stuff as we move through the off season. But for now, good night, baseball. See ya. Uh, and uh, with that, how about we move into NFL? The thing that people actually want to hear about. Um... <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I feel like there are some good cases going on in baseball. I feel like I feel like of all people, you're undercutting baseball right now. Like, no, well, I just we're talking I... about the old guard Astros. We talked about him a couple weeks ago. Like, this is a whole new roster. Twenty-five-year-old kid is the MVP on a roster that still has Bregman, still has Altuve. Like. I don't know about the people want to hear this. Like this is the time people want to hear baseball. So uh, for, the, for those just listening, I had a ton of fun when I said, let's talk about baseball and both Jack and Tyler looked down to their phones. <laughs> I, was oh, like, no, okay. no, no. I was checking no, Jeremy Pena's age. 
And I, I'm only I'm only busting your guys' balls a little bit, but uh, that's right. If you're out on baseball, fine. I, if I have to be the last uh, the last defender of uh, America's sacred sport, then it's in big trouble. You're the last of the Mohicans <laughs> here, Jack. Um, okay, we're moving on to NFL Week Nine. We start with one point coverage. Essentially, I'm going to go through every single game. We are going to have one point, or I'm going to have one point about each game. And afterwards, we'll talk about what we think are the biggest headlines from NFL Week 9. And so we start with one-point coverage. Philly at Houston. I think the NFL needs to investigate Jalen Hurts for hate crimes against Devonta Smith. The LA Chargers at the Atlanta Falcons. It was this week's meh game of the week. Also, Arthur Smith is funny looking. Carolina at Cincinnati. Joe Mixon had the second best fantasy performance of all time on Sunday. Indianapolis at New England. Indy fires their offensive coordinator and the new guy calls 29 passes for Sam Ellinger. Bills at Jets. The Giants are 6-2, and two, and now the Jets beat Buffalo. Grease the poles in New York. Las Vegas at Jacksonville. If I told you that Derek Carr had 259 yards and two touchdowns, and Devontae had 146 yards and two touchdowns, and that the Raiders scored the first 17 points, would you think they win? Because they didn't. Green Bay at Detroit. I'm going to do my best TikTok impression. <clears throat> Aaron Rodgers, uh, what happened? How you lose to Detroit Lions? Uh. <laughs> Minnesota at Washington. How can you possibly like eking out a three-point win over Washington? Seattle at Arizona. Kenneth, fourth quarter, Walker, the third, is a certified league winner. Jack, roll your eyes all you want. <laughs> That's such a man. complicated thing to say. That's so I'm picturing it like Kenneth, fourth quarter, Walker, the third. I don't know how you're still thinking straight. Kenneth, how about 4Q? Either way, don't, don't interrupt one point, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> the Rams at Tampa Bay. Tom Brady is in a full midlife crisis, divorced, and now thinks winning 16 to 13 is really fucking fun. What's next? A flashy car? Tennessee at Kansas City. Are we sure Ryan Tannehill isn't mentoring Malik Willis? He was 5 of 16 for 80 yards, zero touchdowns, but no interceptions. Miami at Chicago. Justin frickin' Fields. He's here, and for the first time in my life, the Bears have a quarterback. Book it. Uh, we end with Baltimore at New Orleans. Lamar Jackson aside, Justin Tucker may have been the most entertaining player in this game. He said in a, a post-game video with Marlon Humphrey, he's smoking on that Saints pack. <laughs> Wait, wait, can we go back? Did I miss the Bengals Panthers one? Yeah, uh, uh, Joe Mixon had the second oh, best fantasy oh, yeah, performance yeah, yeah, of all time. That's one point coverage. And now, gentlemen, I open the floor to you to give me your best uh, best topics, most important topics from NFL Week 9. Uh, well, the first thing I actually want to protest, the, the, I saw this. Where did I see it? Some fantasy football guy on Twitter was the one who posted like Mixon's second best fantasy performance which I don't think is true. I'm pretty sure that's a easily, like, I think that's a highly disputed stat. I think a, 
he's like in PPR, it was like 12th best in standard. It was like maybe a second best in the last like three years or something. So I'm not blaming you for it because this was a highly circulated stat, but I don't think it's correct. But, uh, you know, good for Joe Mixon anyways. We need to pump him up a little bit. He has a very low yards per carry in many of his games. <laughs> The, yeah, that offense in general has just kind of been, but uh, on and off. Anyway, Tyler, go. Uh, the one that really was just in my face was the Vikings commanders comment uh, to, cel- to celebrate this. Like you beat the commanders by three and you had Kirk Cousins on the plane shirt off with the with the bling on. I just... <laughs> I mean, I I get, I mean, winning is hard in professional football. It's don't get me wrong. It's every, every win should be celebrated, but you know, especially after seasons like the Vikings have had where it's up and down and you don't really know what kind of team you are. I I, I feel like it's very difficult to be that excited about a win over the commanders. Well, they were, (laughs) no, I mean, okay. They were down by 10 points with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter and they end up winning. Like that's an exciting win. And the commanders, believe it or not, or 500 coming into this game. So it's like you're on the road against a a fairly quality opponent, whether we super buy into the commanders or not. Like I, I feel like that was worthy of a celebration. I'm trying to see if I could pull up a strength of schedule uh, ranking because some of these teams, that I'm a, I'm a little suspect of. Like, I know the commanders have had a weak strength of schedule, um, but it, it's still a decent win. Yeah, there are some other sketchy people down at the bottom of this list, but I think so. I, the Kirk Cousins shirtless thing, I might have had issues with that for different reasons. That just, <laughs> that was strange imagery to see. But no, I, I think celebrate a big comeback win. Why not? You're seven and one. Eagles beat the commanders. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that they uh, went. We're not, I don't know that Jalen Hurts went shirtless on the plane ride home, but um, I, I, I kind of wanted to. I wanted to talk about the Bears. I think that it's. I think that it's not only because I, 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 I cheer for this team. I watch them religiously every Sunday. I think that it's a national headline that Justin Fields is figuring it out uh, over the last three weeks. He is just absolutely tearing defenses apart. I think that he's put himself in a situation where he is akin to Lamar Jackson. Now I understand wholeheartedly that he must have more longevity to be commonly put on that same pedestal as Lamar Jackson, but you've got guys from this Miami dolphins defense going to the media and saying tremendous, tremendous things about Justin Fields and his ability to to disrupt defenses. He said a, single game record for quarterback rushing yards in a game in a world where Mike Vick and Lamar Jackson exist. He ran for 178 yards, ripped off a 61 yard touchdown with some ball carrying moves that you see from running backs and from wide receivers, but this is coming from your quarterback. Uh, Like this guy is, I, I think legit. And I think that he's been able and allowed to put his two cents into the offense here recently. And I think that it's paid gigantic dividends for the bears. I have a conflicting comment about this. I, I don't think that this is necessarily the offense. Justin Fields wants to run. I think it's the one that he has to run. Sure. I feel like their offensive line is not nearly good enough to, to allow Justin to just sit in the pocket and throw the way we know he can throw. And 
I mean, 178 yards from a quarterback is insane stat, like you said, with Lamar Jackson and everyone. But I, I feel like, just, I mean, Justin Fields is known for using his legs, but his arm strength is also unreal. So if we, if you were able to give him an offensive line to protect him, I mean, I think it's a different kind of offense that we're looking at as well. But but don't you then think that it's it's in some part incredible that a coaching staff that at the beginning of the year, I'm sure wasn't completely bought into this guy because it wasn't their guy seven weeks into the season was like, let's give him input into this because we think that he might be the guy. But like we can't tell because our offensive line is so bad. I think that that's I think that it's a pretty cool thing to mark if you're a fan or if you're you know covering the team to say uh, all right now they think they have a guy and they're allowing him to uh, again input himself into the offense and then tell them what he thinks will work best for him so that's where i would push back because i don't know that the bears i don't think that i mean yes obviously this was an amazing performance and over the last couple weeks we've seen significantly improved play from the first 20 games of his career first 15 games whatever it was that wasn't great um, but I don't, I don't think if I was bears upper management, I don't think I'd be sold yet. I, I think that like, show me a run of games. That's the, that's the nature of the chase Claypool trade, right? Is let's go get this guy, another receiver. And if he still can't operate a successful offense with multiple competent receivers, uh, at least I would say multiple competent running backs, that's enough that you should be able to see what you've got in a guy. Um, and I think that, getting more of a spectral view at it is seeing like, okay, lions Falcons coming up. Those are games where he could absolutely feast, right? Like those are games where if you have an above average quarterback or offense, they can take down those teams. Um, I, I would say personally, I'm not totally bought in on Justin Fields, but he definitely is lengthening the leash because this isn't the administration that got him in. So their right. allegiance is going to be much lower than even Bears fans see in Chicago being a fickle sports town like people have been hard on fields anyways but no way if I'm Pauls and Eberflus it's still a like we got to make sure and see what we've got with this guy because this upcoming draft could be one of the best quarterback drafts from what I've been hearing that if you commit to fields and he isn't what you think he is you might have to wait another few years to start this process over again so it was encouraging but I, I still think you know, show me more that sounds so selfish and greedy but like Show me more 132 yards passing. Show me more. Yeah, no, I, I, agree. I, I agree. No, I, I'm right there with you, Jack. And like I said, <clears throat> I think that there needs to be more longevity, but I think that you're seeing the growth, the exponential growth of a dude in the past three games where it doesn't look lucky. It just looks good. <clears throat> there were times early with Trubisky when you go back and look at it where everybody was touting him as like oh he might be a guy he we might we might have somebody there was times where trubisky made it look lucky and if you go back to that first season when he was paired with matt Nagy, they got figured out by week nine this is an offense that is kind of rediscover re relearning itself right like it wasn't a rushing quarterback from week one two three four all the way up to week seven but it's when they went to rushing the ball with justin fields that things really started to open up for them and they started playing more competent football so they got a mini buy after that thursday night game against the commanders and they reevaluated some things and they came out and then now they're just punching people in the mouths with justin fields running ability and the other thing i've had this conversation a couple times with people like, yeah, well, if your quarterback's always running, he's going to get hurt. Justin Fields looks like a dude who is beyond capable of not getting hit. 
right? Like <clears throat> he, he is, he, he's, he's somebody who's going to look for the sideline instead of look for the extra yard. He's going to slide instead of look for the extra yard. And at the end of the day, that's what you want. You don't want Cam Newton being brutalized in the middle of the field as your quarterback. You want a guy like, like, like fields when it comes to running the football. Yep, definitely. Uh, I think I'm going to use that as an opportunity to pivot to another game that I thought was interesting. And that's the way that the NFC West currently looks, which is sort of upside down from predicted. Uh, Kyler Murray, I think, is the school of what you're saying with Justin Fields of the like he can generate yards, but he he's not Josh Allen. He's not Daniel Jones. He doesn't just run head first, not Sam Ellinger, who just like runs right into contact. No, (laughs) these are guys that all like are downhill quarterback runners, which is weird. Kyler's got the escapability, but that's also part of the concern with fields is people are starting to question Kyler Murray a bit. Uh, The Seahawks beat the Cardinals in Arizona 31 to 21. And they are now multiple games, either a game and a half or two games up in the division. I think a game and a half over San Francisco. And then the Rams and Cardinals are at the bottom, which again, I feel like is, kind of the opposite of at least what I expected. I have to see if I could pull up my preseason picks, but I think I had the Rams winning the division. The Seahawks are pegged to get last in most, uh, most things that I saw. So that might be, you know, another kind of canary in the coal mine flag of how do teams approach things going forward? Because this trade deadline was largely set up by the McVay school of Rams, which is we don't need picks. If we can turn picks into valuable players, we turn players into playoff runs. We turn playoff runs into Super Bowls. Well, there's definitely question about are the Rams just unlucky? Have they just had some injuries and some things fizzle out this year? But then you look at like the Seahawks did the total opposite. The Seahawks were like, let's get rid of our all-star franchise quarterback. Let's roll with a guy who just hasn't been super great in his career. We're going to try. Hopefully this rookie running back gets going. And all of a sudden the Seahawks are looking like, believe it or not, probably one of the top four teams in the NFC right now. So I think this could be a how do teams learn from the NFC West if it continues as current? Are we going to see a shift in the way teams start to value quarterbacks? Because we saw this with running backs over the last six or seven years. Like if you can find a guy who does enough, you don't need the guy who does it all. It, the, we talked about the Seahawks two weeks ago, and I'm still baffled by how they are as good as they are. They are two games up on the 49ers, uh, the Niners four and four, the Seahawks, six and three Seahawks have yet to hit their bye, I believe. Uh, but um, I, there's, there's no words for it. There's no words to, to describe why the Seahawks are heads better than the Cardinals, the Rams, and even the 49ers this year, though, the 49ers, you can kind of uh, mark as well, the, their, their quarterback and their plans kind of got delayed after week two, but like they're running theoretically, back, yeah, they're running back and their defensive end. <laughs> I think the 49ers are still genuinely good. They've just been so marred by injury that they're, they're not where they should be. But like the Rams, uh, you talk about the value of draft picks and haphazardly just kind of throwing them around at already talented players. It's a okay strategy, but in terms of longevity, there comes a time where that doesn't, it, it will, it will not work. You can't get young, talented players without draft picks you just can't and so so, like the rams might be running into that situation already i know it's kind of like a super easy take but like they might already be there it might already be that like okay we got our super bowl but what did it cost literally the next five years of our franchise and beyond because we're going to be so thin our cupboard is so bare with draft capital that we might not be able to rebound and be the 
the the dynasty type team that people think that we could have been. Which is, I mean, that, and as a baseball fan and specifically a Cubs fan, you're acutely aware of the, what is the philosophical stance of an NFL or any professional sports team? I mean, you can simulate this if you log on to whatever major sports video game and you set goals for your like coach, your team, you know, do you want to be a contender for a long time or do you want to be a championship team for a very short amount of time? Because if you look through history, there's a lot of circumstance and luck that goes into creating those dynastic, those empires, like the New England Patriots of the 21st century. How many of those Super Bowls were won on super thin margins or AFC championships where they just skated by or somebody on the other team got hurt or, you know, a referee's decision was questionable. Like there's so much luck involved that is it better to just get a team of mercenaries, get that championship. And then you get to go around and say, Hey, we did this. We won the championship. Is philosophically, that philosophically, you have to decide as a franchise what you want to do. How much does right. that trophy mean to you? Is it a is it a matter of okay, we got the thing, and now we know we're going to be bad, but we got the thing? Or is it a matter of we want to try to get as many shots at the thing as we can? I think the majority of people would say build the dynasty, build the thing that's going to get a lot of shots at it because. You obviously want more Super Bowls, but if you if you create a window where it's two years where you are just absolute chuck full of world breaking dudes. It's I mean, you got the thing. If you swing and miss, though, it's like the risk reward ratio is is way off in that situation. So well, and uh, it's tricky with the Rams because you have to figure there are some guys that they would have liked to hold on to like. Von Miller's a guy that if they could have held, that would have helped Odell Beckham. If he doesn't tear his ACL, they probably keep him. And we don't have to worry about this Allen Robinson experiment that like is currently not working. So it, it, the plans can change so fast. In but at, the, at the same time, look at the other sideline in that game. The, the Patriot, or I'm sorry. The bucks are a team that have held on to their draft picks and have still spent money to bring in big name players and world breakers and, 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 and people of that uh, echelon, but still they haven't drafted. Well, they had, they got their championship. They still technically have a window to keep winning championships. If you get to the playoffs, they say anything can happen, but you know, it's, it's, it was, it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition of these two great teams that we know should be great, but are both experiencing issues and their philo- philo- philosophies are so different based on uh, where they project their teams to be. So uh, a fun conversation for sure. <clears throat> I wanted to, uh, to point out one thing in that the, the, the jets beating the bills dramatically changes the landscape of the AFC East as we move forward. There's currently six, sorry, there's currently three, six and three teams in the AFC East. Uh, I don't know how the Jets are here. I don't think the Jets know how the Jets are here, but the Jets are here and they eke out a game against a Buffalo team that played pretty poorly. So I, I just, uh, I think that it was an interesting week of NFL football. Yeah. No, the there'll be Jets talk to come for sure. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I see why you're holding your cards close. Yeah, yeah I'll, uh, hold, I'll hold, I'll hold. So, Jack, why don't you? Excuse me. We'll edit that sneeze out. Um. <laughs> Dang! If only this. If only this had a mute button. I don't. I don't think I have one, or else what? I would have used it. Command D or Control D, I think. Try it. Hello. 
Oh, that's what it is on mine. Oh, that's an awesome moment. Please keep that in. Please. Keep. I'll keep all of it just for you. Uh, so, uh, Jack, uh, tell me a little bit about New England and Indianapolis this week, and we'll transition to uh, blank you very much as you do so. Uh, New England beats the Colts 26 to 3. The Colts, I feel like there's still bones on this team that should create a skeleton that can do something because the FC South is so bad. And even though the Titans are a couple games in front of them, like I don't think the Titans are unreachably, you know, good, even in comparison to the Colts. But this, I guess, was the week that broke Indy's back because they're just completely. I, they're Literally, it broke the horse's back. Yeah, yeah. No, this <laughs> is they're they're punting the season. They've got no clue what they're doing. Deion Jackson looked good a couple weeks ago. He was a disaster because he went down with an injury for a bit. Uh, nobody had more than I guess one guy had four catches. It really nobody relevant had more than three catches in this game for the Colts and the Patriots. Also, I don't think are that good of a team. They're above 500. You talked about the AFC East, that there's the six and two Bills, six and three Jets, six and three Dolphins. And then at five and four, the Patriots are in last place. There are other divisions, which I'm not personally comfortable naming, where they would be in first place with the record that they have. So I I think that this sets up, this really has driven the Colts to, there's no reason for them to really keep trying unless they think that Matt Ryan has maybe regained some juice in the time that he spent away from quarterbacking there. There's no hope, which sucks because they have some really good young, talented players that felt like, Oh, we could do something. Uh, The Patriots meanwhile are also in a weird spot because they've got a division where they're at best, the third best team. No one's putting them ahead of the bills. No one's putting them ahead of the dolphins. And you look around the AFC and, are they really going to be? I mean, they're in it for a playoff spot, but are they really going to be in it? So I think Mac Jones is going to continue to be a bit of an interesting case study because he's not very good, but he seems to coordinate an offense fairly well, which, if you'll remember, was kind of the MO of Tom Brady early on. It's like before Tom Brady became the Tom Brady that he is, he was really just a good, like, leader you know, could get the huddle going and took a team that wasn't, you know, necessarily going to win a lot. And all of a sudden they won a lot for a long time. So, uh, no, I, I, I think the, I, I'm not buying into the Patriots and I at value and at price right now want to buy into the Colts, but, uh, that feels like a losing endeavor. So from this game, you go in, you, so you go into this game, the Colts have just fired their offensive coordinator. And as I mentioned in the 1.1 rundown, they then, call for 29 passes to the completely incapable Sam Ellinger or Ellinger. Oh yeah. It is Uh, Ellinger. I think. Yeah. Ellinger. Ellinger. I'd Uh, say Ellinger. It sounds better, but yeah. They fire their OC. The OC has some kind of game plan that he thinks is going to work. It doesn't, it fails miserably. And then to retort the 26 to three loss, they go ahead and fire Frank Reich, somebody who uh, I think across the league is known as a, a good guy, is not a bad head football coach, has had to deal with seven different starting quarterbacks in his tenure as the coach of the Colts. They fire this guy and they bring in Jeff Saturday, the guy who, uh, of course, was the, the center for many, many years for Peyton Manning and that offense and has very close ties to the Indianapolis organization. He's currently a uh, was a, uh, a, a consultant for the team. 
So they hire Jeff Saturday, who Jack, I think in the pre-show you said is your Nate Hackett coach of the week is Jeff Saturday, which is uh, yeah. hilarious. I'm calling my shot now. I mean, this guy is uh, already uh, off to a slow start in his coaching career. That's for sure. So he's he he has not zero previous coaching experience. He he has one full season in 2019 as a high school football coach where he led the 138th worst high school team in the state of Georgia to a 3 and 8 record. Yeah, as a as a high school coach his record 20 and 16 overall. Is what I had said. Yeah. Yeah. That, no. That's high school. Okay, wait. So uh, now I I have to ask because we have different high school backgrounds. I remember the school where I went was a pretty good while I was there for high school. And like you have games that in high school were just massacres and it gets to a point where if anything goes wrong, you're like, well, that's probably the coach because they don't actually have to do anything when you're just more talented than some of the other schools in your area. Did you guys have similar either your school or schools in the area where it's like could not possibly go 500 because everyone else just couldn't keep up? Tyler's not allowed to answer this question because he played in the uh, Chicagoland Catholic League circuit. He was a JCA guy. Um, he's probably able to answer. But so you're saying a team that like was just so bad that it couldn't go 500? No, no, no. A team that was so good that like no matter what happened, you were never concerned that like 500 isn't even in your school history. In in public or in or in well, like I was, private? I, I was public, so I guess I, I'm referring. I was to public too, and in my area, I don't think that we had a team like a that in terms school. of in terms of public school. In terms of private school, Tyler can definitely speak to that. Yeah, I think. I mean, for when I was in high school, at least you're able to get more guys that you want, I guess, because of recruiting. Um, if you want to go that route, I know everyone's going to be like, Oh, recruiting in high school, whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't think I ever went below 500 in high school. Cause we were just always so talented. So that like, if you're Jeff Saturday, right. He, is he a hall of famer? Is he on the ballot? I don't know that he's been in, but he definitely, I think was like a hall of fame candidate. Let, let's at yeah. least give him that credit that like, this is an elite NFL offensive lineman a Super Bowl champion uh, has been in broadcasting for like five years at ESPN decides, you know what? I want to spend my Friday nights coaching. This guy could get a coaching job at any high school in the country because he's Jeff Saturday. He's a star football player, right? How do you go just over 500? How, how do you parlay that into anybody at a higher level going, you know what? I bet this guy's a pretty good coach. So, I've commonly thought that good, like good to great former players, like guys that you know their names really well when they retire, will never be good head football coaches. I'm shocked at the work that Deion Sanders is doing at Jackson State because I think that people who are just naturally gifted and incredible athletes and so good at their sports don't know how to teach it because they were just always naturally gifted. I don't think Peyton Manning would be a good coach. I don't think Drew Brees would be a good coach. I'm just listing quarterbacks, but like similarly, I don't think Alex Rodriguez would be a good coach or Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds had a couple different stints as a hitting coach and he never worked out. He's one of the 
most feared hitters of all time never worked out because his brain works different. Like but he's, that's at he, the professional level, right? I, I'm talking like if you're telling me that if Barry Bonds was like, I'm going to be the high school coach at Kansas City High School or some random place, right? Like, A, if you live in the area and your kid's good at baseball, it doesn't matter public or private. Yeah, I want my kid playing for Barry Bonds. So already there's a magnet for talent. B, you have somebody who has experience beyond what other, I'll say potentially age comparable coaches might have. Like maybe they don't have the same experience and wisdom that a guy who's been coaching high school for 20 or 25 years has. But like, it's a high school. I don't think, I forget about Jeff Saturday in the NFL, like 20 and 16, that's I just, good. Again, I think I think it, it applies similarly. Tyler, give me just a second, but like I, I just, I feel like it applies similarly. If you're so in much if you're so much better than everybody, Jeff Saturday, Hall of Famer or not, was one of the best centers and interior linemen in the game when he was playing football. He was. But I, I don't think that that translates to then at even the high school level, you being able to appropriately teach the fundamentals of football because you have always just been that much better. You've never uh, you, not that you've never, but like you don't have to think about the little things as much is, is my general uh, thought process here. But Tyler, go ahead. So I have a lot to just kind of get out here. Uh, Fire away. First off, like with the high school record, I personally believe that that shouldn't matter. I mean, a lot of people are, I think are blowing it up to be bigger than it already is. When you're in high school, you're not even fully developed. Like how many offensive linemen in high school, like they're like 250 pounds, like soaking wet. You know what I mean? So you're, you're dealing with kids who are, you know, they're, they're just going out to play the sport. They just like the game of football. It's not going anywhere after that. They're not the most talented people, but they want to play with their friends. So I think it's very inappropriate to say that how he coached a group of high school kids is going to relate when you get to the big time with a bunch of professionals, because it is very, very different. Now, on in that aspect, I think he might be one of the better coaches that has been a player. Um just specifically because he has the intelligence of the game playing center as a center, you, you pick up more things than, you know, other position players do. Um, Cause you really kind of have to know everything because you're leading the entire offensive line. So I think he brings an aspect of intelligence and knowledge of the game. It, and I still think that, you know, he'll be able to help the offensive line, which has, been going through so many shifts this year that I think they've had like four or five or six different offensive lines starting this season. So it's been a shuffle because of injuries. Um, I think he'll be able to help in, in that aspect, at least to, to scrap what they have left. But I, I don't think it's like all hope is lost that he's getting an opportunity to coach. I think, you know, he coaches the rest of the season. It goes okay. Like, oh, okay. Well, maybe we can consider him next year. Like, it's they're not saying that they're hiring him. He's just filling in right now. Sure. Uh, no, and I get all that. And it, it's entirely possible that things go well for Jeff Saturday. And we'll get to the actual point of blank you very much in just a few minutes. But the other thing that I wanted, I, and I might be opening up a can of worms. Uh, that is, uh, open it. Yeah, the other thing that I think is important to note in this situation is I think that there's a lot of uh, NFL fans, common NFL fans that are going to forget about the 
transgressions of the NFL and the the head coach hiring processes that they have of this past offseason when Brian Flores was fired and you know was basically blacklisted from the Dolphins and then uh you know we had the the whole situation happen with uh, uh um Brian Dable and Brian Flores as they both interviewed for the Giants job and there was a text sent to Brian Flores that was meant for Brian Dable even though Brian Flores was still being technically considered for the job right it's just all this nefariousness about the amount of blackhead coaches that we have in the NFL in a league that is predominantly staffed by 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 black men as as the athletes right so to see this guy who has a 20 and 19 record in high school football randomly and with no affiliation to coaching whatsoever at the NFL level, get a shot to be the interim coach, I think is technically a a little troublesome. I think it's, I think it's worrisome. And I think that it points back to the original problem of the NFL and, and most professional leagues are just a good old boys club. That is 100% a problem, and that would be the even bigger concern is if somehow this interim coach turns into a head coaching position for Jeff Saturday. I think that also undercuts a history of interim coaches who are there as placeholders and not meaningfully given a shot because we have seen guys. I mean, even forget about your coaches of color for a second. The Raiders last year with what was the guy's name? Rich Visaccia. Rich. Rich, Yeah, you got it. Rich Visaccia. He took the Raiders to the playoffs after everything that happened with them. They didn't bother keeping him. So it's like the interim coach is is such a a meaningless label. And that's like they can skirt the Rooney rule thing with this because they're not actually, to my knowledge, the Rooney rule only applies to head coaching searches and coordinator position searches, maybe also general manager at this point. I'm not sure, but um, doesn't apply. Interim coach technically is a different title. So, no, I think that's absolutely an issue is whether or not you think the high school record is meaningful, which I have to guess that most hiring positions in professional sports do look at a coach's record, whether it's college or high school or pro, like you want somebody who has a proven track record of winning. Uh, Even if you throw that out, you have a guy who has very little coaching experience in any capacity, not even like an offensive assistant on the team. He's been listed as the Colts. I think it was like as a football consultant was he listed as yes Which, for the front office it again front office i would imagine most coaches would tell you and most front office people would tell you those are two very different realms of working in football i don't think working in the front office for a long time gets you credibility in coaching so i no. guess i'll give him props as an analyst i think that matters for oh go ahead Todd. go ahead Todd. no I, I just i i really truth this is like really making me up like angry and i as a player, he's played for 10 years. Like the knowledge that he has of the game is so beyond that of pretty much everyone on that roster that I, I mean, to, if you come in as a coach and you're worried about the respect aspect, I think he meets that. I think for the sure. knowledge aspect, I think he meets that. I, I don't know. I just think it's like really being picky as like an outsider. Like this guy played so much football. He knows the game. He's been on really good teams. He won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning. I'm pretty sure. Like he did. Like it, I think he he has like all the things that you ideally want, and he just doesn't have the coaching experience. But I feel like you you have the ability here to get away with that as with the interim title, and like you could just test them out. And I. I I, I do believe that there is a problem with like the Rooney rule and all that. And I just think that all this fuss about Jeff Saturday getting the job is just like, 
this guy is like a legend. Like he, like I watched him growing up. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's one of the best. I think, I think what you add to the conversation here is valuable and it's, it's not wrong. It's entirely, it's entirely possible and reasonable that because a guy played in the NFL for a, a decade or more and did so successfully and at a very high level, that that's enough for you to say, okay, this guy for the remaining eight games of the season can be our head coach and we can try him out. Uh, I think that it's also correct to come in from a standpoint, especially with where we're at in the climate of the NFL and in the way that they hire head coaches and the way that it's been proven that it's a, a flawed system, that there still should be cause for concern when you look at this hire as a whole. I during this conversation and Jack, maybe you saw me uh, elicit a response over here. I looked at the Colts coaching staff on this coaching staff uh, sits uh, not only Gus Bradley, who's been coaching for 33 years in the NFL also is John, John Fox. Fox, who has been coaching there, uh, coaching in the NFL for He's four a Super years. Bowl winning coach. He's a Super Bowl winning coach. Uh, you have uh, other guys on this staff too. Richard Smith, their linebackers coach has coached for 44 years. Chris Strasser, their offensive line coach, has coached for 34 years. Ron Mil- Millis, their defensive backs coach, has coached for 32 years. Doug McKenney for 35 years. You, you go down this list, Russie Jones for 35 years. Richard Howell for 29 years. So, like, you start to look through this, and again, Tyler, it is entirely possible. that they, they just say, this is a guy that's meant a lot to our organization, understands our organizational chemistry understands the power dynamics understands everything and can come in day one and 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 know how to do all of these things and we feel confident that he's going to be able to fill in as head coach and maybe even turn this thing around to some degree but it's also entirely possible that they just completely shat on the entire process of of getting an interim head coach and also I don't know how close that he's been to this roster. I I can't say that one way or another. I don't know how close he's been to this roster. So is he going to be introducing himself to people? Well, in in defense of the higher two, I I will say that the reverse isn't a ton better, right? Like you talk about the issue with the, how few coaches of color there have been and how their leashes have been shorter and how, you know, the tenures are, are quick and oftentimes it is like an interim title. So it wouldn't have felt great, even if like a black coach was hired for interim coach. Like we already have that history of like, OK, that guy's probably not sticking around. So it's not that they needed to hire a person of color. I think the issue with the like coaching staff tenure is another thing. But this isn't a super coveted position, right? Like there might not be too many people clamoring to take over to fill in the second half of the year for this team based on what they've performed. So that's where you're right. It could be like a, he's close to the organization and it honestly could be like a he's willing to step in in a situation where maybe not a lot of guys are. And like what Tyler's saying, too, for sure, we definitely have seen like football insiders do create meaningful change. Uh, recently, we've had a couple of big examples, right? Like Kellen Moore was considered one of the best offensive coordinators. This is and this is not a guy who had the same level of success that Jeff Saturday did. He's not a Hall of Famer. He's not a Super Bowl champion. He's certainly the talent level seemed to be nowhere near that. But he's been phenomenal in his role as offensive coordinator. And people are thinking, will he be a head coach someday? And that's another one of those, like, how did Kellen Moore get the job of all people? But it's very tough as fans to gauge which football players know their stuff and which don't. And that's where it's a little fishy and kind of strange to me that Jeff Saturday last week was on NFL Today or NFL Live as an analyst. But at the same time, I know that 
analysts come from a position of they're watching just as much tape and game footage and reviewing football. Like he hasn't really been away from the game of football, but he hasn't played in a while and he hasn't coached much. Right. So he's still definitely in football circles. Uh, but I, I, I agree with what you're saying, Tyler, that it's not really a Jeff Saturday specific thing. It's more, I think the complaints at large are, are more this kind of hire because I also think like Jeff Saturday is probably one of the only offensive linemen that a good number of football fans who watched in like the 2000s could name easily off the top of their head. Like he was absolutely a dynamic player. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think to end this conversation, to, to put a bow on it, let's get to the point of blank you very much, which I ask the Jeff Saturday experiment will end blank. Fill in the sentence. How will this end? How will it end? When will it end? Whatever. Just will end blank. I think Tyler and I are going to have very different answers. So I'll let you go first, Tyler. So I don't think it will. I think it will help. The Jeff Saturday experiment will end being better off for Jeff Saturday than the Indianapolis Colts. I think that he will show that he has coaching capability and he could be a potential for jobs in the future, but I don't think it does anything for this Colts. I think this hire, uh, another point that I was, I wanted to bring up is that they don't trust anyone on the staff to be the interim head coach. They went out of the office to hire Jeff. So I think that they're, they're already looking towards the future and just examining another coaching candidate close to the organization. Jack, I said the Jeff Saturday experiment will end up changing the Rooney rule. (laughs) I think I think we're going to have to take a step back in terms of the hiring process because this isn't something covered. But interim coaches as close to head coach as you can get without actually being head coach. And so I don't know if that means it's going to be affected as far as like, do you have to go through an extreme hiring process? Because it is more of an immediate procedure, right? Like. Frank Wright gets fired. They need to name a head coach very quickly. You can't undergo extensive interviews. Uh, But the, the spirit of it too is, you know, do the, do rules change when you're looking outside of the organization as to inside, because most of the time interim coaches are just promoted assistants or coordinators. And this is one of the rare times where it hasn't been. Uh, So I think it is going to raise questions, whether it's specifically on the grounds of race or where their previous position was. But I think that, I, I do think that this will balloon into a larger issue and not because it's the Colts and not because it's Jeff Saturday, but just because it's unique and we haven't seen it before. I like both takes. I went with a much simpler tone to this. I think the Jeff Saturday experiment will end after this season. I, don't, I thought about that. I almost had that. <laughs> I, think, I think that, yeah, Tyler, I think that you're right. I think that he probably shows uh, some amount of capability to do this. And I think that he probably ends in a better situation than he began in terms of quest for a secure head coaching position as, as secure as a head coaching position in the NFL can be. Frank Reich is a great example of that. Uh, but I think it ends at the end of the year. And I think that maybe even part of it just to tie all of our takes in is because the Rooney rule gets changed. And so this hire has to be reevaluated and, uh, you know, so, some some things may transpire here in the off season. But okay. with that, I, go I'm going to put a bow on your bow. Do you guys know who the Colts are playing this week? I not off the dome. No, <laughs> they are playing the Josh McDaniels led Raiders. Oh, so to bring everything to a full circle. McDaniels was supposed to be the Colts head coach years ago, and when he backed out at the last second. 
they went with Frank Reich instead. So because everything in the end is a circle, uh, we're back to Josh McDaniels and the Colts this week. All things somehow come back to Josh McDaniels. <laughs> anyway, let us uh, move on to the second topic here and blank you very much, which is uh, a recurring segment to the segment that uh, Jack Coachman proposed and I really like. And so we do it uh, about every four weeks of the NFL season, a team whose record isn't representative of their true value is who? Jack Coachman or Tyler Witt. Either, oh, some, somebody. Go right ahead, Jack. Kill the void. Uh, New York Jets. Uh, I hinted at it earlier that we we're going to be talking about them again, and it's because they're a 6-3 and three team, but you can go up and down, and uh, in theory, you can pick apart any record, so maybe this is kind of a fruitless game to be playing, uh, but they really do not have a ton of quality wins outside of beating the Bills this week. Uh, they beat a hapless Broncos team that's been an absolute dumpster fire this season. They beat a Packers team that at the time was like, oh my gosh, they beat Rodgers and the Packers. And now we're looking and like, okay, that's not that impressive. Uh, they beat the Dolphins, which looks really cool, except when you look and see that Teddy Bridgewater played like five snaps and then Skylar Thompson played the rest of the game. Uh, they beat the Steelers, who I would say that's a fine win in Pittsburgh. And then they also had that miracle win over the Browns where they scored like 10 or 14 points in the last two minutes of the game. So even though we're kind of on this, oh my gosh, the Jets are like in the playoff picture. They're a half game out of the division lead. Uh, I don't even think they're necessarily the third best team in their division. And I think that this is another kind of quarterback question mark team because they have so many young, talented, skilled position players. They've got a lot of young, talented defensive players, offensive linemen all across the board. They're looking very strong except quarterback Zach Wilson hasn't looked great and they've given him uh, a bounty of opportunities and a lot of toys to play with and they've won games, but it hasn't been what six and three would make you think. So I say the jets. Great answer. Tyler. Uh, I th think the last time I talked about the Baltimore Ravens and I, I want to double down on them again. I think, I mean, just six and three, I think they're a lot better than, people are letting on. I think there's just underlooked. They're just like, yeah, the, the Ravens are, are good. You know, just kind of pass over them. But, you know, I think they got some, some quality wins. The, the couple losses that they have, I mean, they've been, I think that they lead, they, <laughs> the time that they have losing is like less, the, the least amount in the whole league. It's, it's like maybe a minute and a half which is an insane statistic. Um, but I, I think that the product of their work is, I mean, it's, it's there. I mean, they, they lost to a really a, a good giants team, which Dable's turned around um, recently, but I, I think that these guys are contenders and they're kind of firing on all cylinders right now. Fun fact about the Ravens. Uh, they have in their remaining games, one one game against a team with a winning record. So I think that their record will balloon, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely with you, Tyler, where uh, six and three makes it look like they're on the same level as teams like the jets. And it's like, no, no, they're actually a pretty high class team right now. Mm. I know firsthand from last night. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll close this out and I'll say a team whose record isn't representative of their true value, I think is the 49ers. 
I mean, I, I, we mentioned it earlier. I think it makes a lot of sense. They've dealt with a ton of injuries, but also some of the games that they've lost have just kind of been like flukes. Like they lost to the Bears in week one, and we all know like that was the game where Justin Fields is doing the, the belly dive into the end zone because it was sopping wet. They lost 11 to 10 to the Broncos. Uh, the, the other games that they've lost are to the Falcons, who are frisky this year, but – I forget who they were missing in that game, but I feel like they were missing a lot in that game, possibly like three running backs. And then they lost to the chiefs in a blowout. So like, I think the only significant loss that you can pin on them is the chiefs loss because it was, I mean, it was by so much, but like the Falcons is a fluke. The Broncos, you just get caught. I, the Broncos win by one point and it's 11 to 10. And then the bears is like the, the bears losses. Oh, that's the game. Trey Lance got hurt too. That, that's right. when the Trey Lance got hurt at the start of the game. So, no, that's another good call. So, I, I think the 49ers are probably your answer here. And uh, that'll do it for Blank. You very much. So, we will move forward now into low hanging fruit. Let hilarity ensue because uh, this is typically where the show goes off the rails. Tyler, they suspended a tree. They suspended the Stanford tree, (laughs) which is unreal. Um, It came out uh, about two weeks ago. It was in October. Um, They suspended the Stanford tree after bringing out a Stanford hates fun poster during the game. It was a protest uh, done by students at Stanford uh, due to uh, harsh social restrictions. So I guess they have like a drinking policy on campus um, and they have to get permits for every party, even if it's just us three. So it is a very uh, un, unaccepting. Unfun. Yeah, it's very unfun. <laughs> it's very boring. It's very, the students are hating it. The students want more social life and the mascot was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring this sign out on the field. And they suspended him for the rest of the season. And it's important to note, this is no, this is no regular school. Stanford is commonly known as like the crazy school. Like there, there's, there's, there's zaniness. There's all that type of stuff associated with Stanford. Like there, there's a, there's a lot of uniqueness to that school. When you stand to strip it away from the students who are likely there in part because of the the way the school is right. Like just the general makeup of the school. When you, when you take that away from people, they're going to fight back, especially college age students looking to drink and uh, do God knows what else they're going to push back. And you suspending a tree is only going to make it worse. (laughs) I just think like if you if you think about the timeline for these students that are at Stanford right now, they had covid. California has some of the toughest covid regulations out of any state in the country. Then now you have them cranking down on permits and the drinking policy after covid is cleared and people want to socialize now. That's like the big thing. Everyone wants to socialize. So very unfun. Stanford, you you suck. Uh, I just to put an addendum on this, I did see it when trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, 43 released a statement. I don't know if you guys realize that 
the Stanford tree no mascots refer to themselves by like the number that they are in the history of the mascots. And uh, Stanford tree number 43 said they're coming out of retirement to serve while 44 is suspended. <laughs> 44 will be back. I'm like, I did see that. This is like how we refer to our presidents. Like, imagine <laughs> if it's like, oh, Joe Biden, take a seat. Like, all right, you know what? Trump, like you're back in. Oh, Trump, you got suspended. All right, Obama, you're back in. Like, here comes Jimmy Carter. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy comes- Carter from left field. Here comes 39. Play the trumpets. Like- <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Jimmy Carter, like, slowly walking to the White House and trumpets going out. You would have to get the bullpen cart for him. You know how they yeah. do that in Arizona? They have the cart to bring the guys <laughs> out. Do, 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 do. Oh, my God. It's Jimmy Carter. <laughs> Turned into some weird intersection of like the WWE baseball. <laughs> my God, it's Jimmy Carter. Oh. I don't believe Oz. Uh, no, that that's awesome. Yeah, again, that's part of the zaniness of Stanford. Is like their their tree mascot. Every time there's a changing of the guard, like the tree changes. Uh, every tree is unique in its own right, and. Um, uh, that that's a storyline to follow for sure. I want to follow up the tree suspension with the tokenization of Adam Schefter. I think it's hilarious. They obviously see him. Some producer that is associated with the broadcast that he is on sees him as this kind of gray cardboard individual reporter guy who's very, you know, to the point. And not necessarily a ton of fun, per se, especially on the air. So what did they do with him? Last year, they made him gritty, and he blew out his ACL. <laughs> in, in like, I mean, in, 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 in a parka and the, the most incredible fur boots you'll see in your life on a man. Um, and then this year, because of the, the Kirk Cousins flying back to Minneapolis with the no shirt and all of the chains on, what'd they do to Adam Schefter? <laughs> they put him out on the field for Monday Night Football in New Orleans, shirtless with a bunch of fake chains on. It's hilarious. I also love that Adam Schefter buys into it and does it because I think he sees himself as kind of a gray cardboard guy, too, when it comes to broadcasts. It's, it's fun, though. It's a lot of fun. I uh here's here's a bit of a hot take while we're on the Schefter topic. I I, I don't like Adam Schefter too much. I think it's un, I don't I don't love that he has the essentially the monopoly. I guess Ian Rappaport breaks news too for NFL Network, but like all news flows through Adam Schefter, and I feel like he's got such a record of like very clearly just spinning tweets and reports to like oh. Odell Beckham potentially signing like in the best of his life. It's like, okay, like that was definitely Odell Beckham or his agent, like sent you a text that said, Hey, can you tweet this man? Like I'm trying to get a job again. Like no, Adam Schefter is uh, definitely not, not the Schefter that I remember as a kid, but I do appreciate that. He's willing to like, he'll, he'll play the reindeer games that ESPN sets up. Naturally you will have your reporters who are, you can tell who their sources are, right? And yes. like Adam Schefter is very much an agent and player-driven source guy, whereas uh, maybe maybe somebody like um, help me with the name, Jack. You just said it, Ian Rappaport. Ian Rappaport. I, I can't say definitively one way or another, but he might be a more like organizational source guy. It just all depends on who the reporter is and where they've tied in. But Jack, wrap us up on low-hanging fruit. I didn't have a great one, so it'll be super fast. I couldn't think of too good of one, but I just want to take the opportunity, not really to make fun of, but just to laugh at Alabama football. Um, <laughs> I think I think it's very fun to see, you know, the evil empire has 
probably fall in, but I don't know. Knowing the college football playoff committee, Alabama could lose out and still probably make the playoffs. So I'm not writing them off yet. But uh, two losses in one season. Uh, see you later. All of a sudden, I think we're going to get some Nick Saban offseason proposing rule changes. Either NIL was the problem or conference restructuring needs to happen quicker or the playoffs need to be expanded situationally if Alabama gets in. Uh, or Saban just retires. He said, you know, we lost two games in a year and one of them wasn't a postseason game. I'm gone. Nick Saban, um, amongst others, I think Coach K was the same way, is a gigantic baby when it comes to losing (laughs) and when it comes to like a failed season. They're they're babies. It's just nice to see as a fan, right? Tyler, fill me in. Will will Alabama have a chance with Tennessee and and Georgia being where they're at? Are they in separate divisions? Uh, Well, Alabama... I think Alabama and Georgia would only meet in the final. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, two-loss Georgia versus a two-loss Alabama, I think head-to-head because uh, Georgia's beaten Tennessee. I think I don't think Alabama can find a way in. No, they can't. LSU beat them unless LSU. So the way it shakes out, there's an SEC West and SEC East. Georgia and Tennessee are both in the SEC East. Alabama is in the SEC West, along with Ole Miss and LSU. LSU, the team that beat Alabama this week. And so there is a a chance that they find their way into the SEC championship game. I don't know that that team would make it into the final four. Though you, it's certainly possible. I don't think that they're dead yet, but they're certainly on life support. They would have to win out. LSU would have to have a dramatic south turn in order for Alabama to get in. I think they would need Alabama plays Ole Miss next. They would need to like absolutely crush Ole Miss because on top of two losses, they also barely skated past a then unranked Texas A&M and also barely skated past and also unranked at the time Texas. And those are teams that have gone in and out of the rankings. So I, I, I would declare Alabama dead at this point. I don't, there would have to be disaster with like six teams in front of them. That's a at fun least, sentence. At least they should win the iron bowl this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You would think so. I I'm curious what the line on that's going to be. I'd have to guess that Alabama's going to be at least like 20 something point favorite. Gotta be. Yeah. And I'll take Auburn. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Just for just for calamity. Oh no! Uh, I'll take Auburn. The uh, Cadillac last time Auburn won a game. What was the last game they won? Uh, they're three and six, so they've won a couple this year. But they, September twenty fourth, they beat Mizzou by a field goal. Oh, oh, Mizzou dude. also a team that does not belong in the SEC, <laughs> along with Vanderbilt. Oh, uh, okay. Let's wrap up this show. We're at an hour and a half, and uh, my brain's ready to shut off. So let's hang a banner. Let's hang a banner. Uh, Jack. Uh, Well, I want to hang some in memoriam banners, uh, not because they died, but because they're, they're no longer a part of the show apparently. And that's to uh, Tyler's foster dog who gave us uh, fun stories and to Ryan's bed, which gave us fun scenery. So, you know, (laughs) thank you for your service, but the banner that I'm hanging goes back to count your wins. The NFL trade deadline more so than what happened. It's what might happen, which is reports from the last week that uh, at least a handful of NFL owners and teams are approaching the league with interest of moving the trade deadline back as many as two weeks, potentially more than that. Uh, So we're looking if it's week 12, if it's week 10, I think were some of the proposed dates. I think because NFL teams are becoming more active at the trade deadline and it's so early in the season, all teams collectively are going to start figuring out 
it's tough to commit to which way you're going when there's such a mess in the middle fighting for these three, four, five, six, seven spots uh, in the playoffs. So I'm hopeful that we start to see a pattern of more engaging and more active trade deadlines because this one was awesome. So hanging a banner for the trade deadline that was and starting to hang a banner for the trade deadlines that may be in the future. Yeah, well, and if you think about it, right, like compare that to uh, a, a league that I always, I think, has great trade deadlines. The MLB, they have uh, their trade deadline set for July 31st, typically, maybe August 1st or 2nd. And that really only gives you two months with a player. But it also you've also spent four months with that player. So uh, anyway, Tyler, uh, wrap us up with your hang with your banner, your banner hung hanger thing. <laughs> <laughs> This banner goes out to offensive lineman from Colorado. Tommy Brown becomes the first ever college football NIL underwear model, but there's a catch. He's an offensive lineman. He's 315 pounds. This guy had this to say, when you have a body this good, you deserve to be paid. And I agree, Tommy, here's your banner. Hell yeah. I thought you, that you said there's a catch. I was like, oh, my God, where are we going with this? I don't know anything about Tommy Brown. Who is oh. this individual? Tommy <laughs> the first Brown modeling is... underwear. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Tommy Brown, I mean, elite. This guy, I mean, just a, a big old boy in underwear, underwear model. If you, you look you, up you, so Tommy you like Brown. Seeing, you like seeing big boys in underwear. I think this is just a step in the right direction for equality amongst the big players and the skilled players. Ah, thick equality. Thick equality. <laughs> thick quality? That's, I like that. Let's trademark quality. it. The, uh, if you look up Tommy Brown underwear model, the first headline that comes up is from SB Nation, and the headline is Thick King Tommy Brown is a perfect choice for the first NIL underwear model in college football. So this is uh, quickly taking the world by storm. No, that actually is very exciting news. Thank God it wasn't Trevor Lawrence. That would be weird. Uh, though he looks kind of like Fabio. Uh, I'll hang my banner to end this show. What just happened to you there? I, I don't know. I think I short circuited. <laughs> I was like, you know, we're past 90 minutes. <laughs> I, I was just thinking like, who would, who would you think would be like the prototypical first underwear model? I was like a quarterback. And then I thought of like long flowing hair. I was like, ah, Trevor Lawrence. This guy, you, you've had this Trevor Lawrence Fabio thing ready to roll for a while. Haven't you uh, just wait for one point coverage next week? Uh, <laughs> my, my banner this week goes to mattress Mac, who, if you're unfamiliar, won the largest sum of money from a single sports bet in the history of American sports books that we know of that was registered and uh, legal. $10 million bet on seven and a half to one odds for the Astros to win the world series, placed it at the start of the playoffs and it hit 75 mil goes to the pockets of mattress. Mac. We talked about this the other day, Jack, why mattress? He does own a furniture store, but the furniture store sells more than just mattresses. I think it's because $10 million stacked up. And close together would look like a mattress. And so he laid a mattress down to win a bunch of mattresses. Seven and a half mattresses, to be correct. 
I I think now you're probably correct, but I'm still choosing to believe for the old conspiracy theories from a few years ago about what mattress firms were. And I'm going to say it's because mattresses are more closely associated with racketeering fraud and uh, shady money dealing. So whichever way it works, the guy's got seventy five million dollars. I don't know who's getting it. I don't know where it's going, but he's got it now. Uh, allegedly back to the, the customers who helped him cobbled together the money to place a $10 million bet. They get some of their money back or all of their money back. And then a, a little bit, and he gets to, to pocket the rest. So we hang a banner for mattress Mac, the ultimate degenerate. Would you guys ever do that? I, I see on Twitter every now and then the like, Oh, everybody who retweets this, if I win the Powerball, you'll get something. But sometimes it's more like crowdfunded. Let's say you're whatever town you're living in is like, oh, we're, we're like all going to chip in and play some massive sports bet or like some massive thing. Would you get in on that pool? Yeah. I get a chunk of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, because yeah. I mean, this guy, his thing is like, everybody invest in me. I'll invest in the Astros, our hometown team. And then if they win, we all win. Okay. Yeah, that, that's an interesting thing. I, I don't think there's laws against that. No, no, because it's just like, I don't know, you buy something from a guy or even if you just give it as a gift, charitable donation, like maybe I'll go around, the, maybe I'll go door to door and start asking people, you know, hey, I've, I've got this, I've got this lockdown college basketball bet and I want us all to be in on it. You could be a part of it too. What do you <laughs> think you, we should, what do you think we could cobble together for a three person podcast? Well, how much money? I'll throw in uh, uh, some belly button American lint. money. <laughs> yeah, I got belly I have- button lint. All of my money is tied up in my Canadian bank account. So I have $2 of American money. That's not going to get us much. Jack, I got mugged by Mattress Max so he could get the 10 million. So I'm broke. (laughs) All right. Well, with that, we wrap up episode eight. And it was episode eight, not episode nine. That's how we started. We closed with the right number. We closed with the right number. Uh, Be sure to follow us on social media at Hanging Banners on Sunday. Jack and I do the Sunday show where we go over fantasy matchups, fantasy usage, what you should do with your fantasy team. And also we talk a bit about gambling. We will not be placing $10 million bets rather uh, somewhere closer to take like nine zeros off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Lots of, lots of zeros off. Uh, But with that, we will wrap up episode eight. Thanks for hanging out. We'll see you next week. Peace. Okay, great. Thanks a lot for that look in sports, Brian. Yeah. And when we come back, we'll have one final look at weather. Stay tuned.